Offense, play fast. Defense, swarm. Swarm and tackle. Attack. We get out block them. We get out tackle them. We get out hit them and hustle. It's real simple. You out block them, you out tackle them, you out hit them, and you out hustle. Let them know. Leave no doubt tonight. Leave no doubt tonight. No doubt. Welcome in. It is week 11, R.J. Bell's Dream Preview College Football Edition. I'm A.J. Hoffman. He is Scott Seidenberg. Hello, Scott. A.J., what's going on? You know, we're just running out of football. That's all. No big deal. Uh, Never running out of football. Not sweating it at all. Not freaking out about it at all. But, yeah, uh, it is week 11. That's crazy. Um, This is where we record this on Tuesday nights. And the new uh, the, the new poll, the new college football playoff rankings, mm-hmm. recently released. Scott, did any, did anything jump off the table at you? Does it, I mean, it's not a whole lot changed really at the top. Uh, Mizzou falls out, which we expected. Oklahoma falls out, which we expected. Uh, and it seems like everybody else, the top eight, in fact, there was zero movement. So yeah. is it, no it, one, no one lost. So obviously no one deserves to drop their spot in the rankings. I just felt that Georgia should have been number one from the get go, not Ohio state. And then after last week's performance where Georgia handles Missouri and Ohio state has to kind of you know, pull away from Rutgers late, I thought that maybe the committee would flip-flop one and two. But to be honest, it doesn't matter because they're not geographically located near each other where the geographic locations of being one and two would matter, like one person has the preference over the other. And as long as they're one and two, they would not face each other in the semifinal. It doesn't matter. Well, and listen, Ohio State's going to play Michigan. If they beat Michigan, they should be number one. Yes, agreed. So I, I think it, it works out. It's going to work out. And if Michigan beats Ohio State, I think Michigan should probably be number one. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, there, there's not much change this week. Uh, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Washington, your five unbeatens all sitting at uh, in the top five. I shouldn't say like they're the only unbeatens because James Madison still exists at 9-0, and though I find it very unlikely they'll be in the college football playoffs. I find it very unlikely they'll be in a bowl game. I, I know, although they did petition today. We'll see how that works <laughs> out. Uh, as far as the one-loss teams go, they are, pow- they are ranked Oregon 6, Texas 7, Alabama 8, Ole Miss 9, Penn State 10, Louisville 11. And then there's two laying down at 23. So uh, the cool thing is we got a lot of these teams playing each other this week. So Ole Miss plays Georgia. There's going to be some movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ohio State, who, or excuse me, Michigan and Penn State play each other. There's going to be some real movement for one of those teams. Like Penn State's going to either be gone forever, or and and this is honestly the kind of win that could move Michigan up a little bit. So yeah. um, th- there's a lot going on this week. It's a, it's a fun week for college football. We've got all the games to look at. And let me um, just clarify. When I say being one or two doesn't matter, I'm not saying it doesn't matter as far as the opponents are concerned. Because obviously, you know, whoever's going to be ranked third or fourth, that's going to be your opponents if you're ranked one or two. I mean it by if you look at the locations of the semifinals this year, it's Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl. And so if it's a team from the Big Ten, whether it's Ohio State or Michigan, that's number one, it's not going to take the Sugar Bowl away from Georgia 
because the Big Ten team is going to go to the Rose Bowl, and Georgia, whether they're number one or number two, is going to play the semifinal game at the Sugar Bowl. So geographically, it doesn't matter. It would matter if it was like number one was, I don't know, Georgia, number two was Florida State, because then whoever's number one is going to get the Sugar Bowl, and then number two has to go across the country. Well, but for right now, if it's we're talking Ohio State, Michigan, and Georgia, it doesn't matter. And it could very easily set up where Georgia and Florida State play in the Sugar Bowl, yes. and the Big Ten champion plays the Pac-12 champion in the Rose Bowl. And I would love it. Everyone's and college happy. football traditionalists. Would Everyone's happy except for Texas, who would be sitting on the <laughs> sideline at that point. They'll be in the Fiesta. Um, all right. Let's jump into this week's games. There's one top 25 game that is uh, a weekday game, and it is Louisville. They are 20-point favorites against Virginia. Louisville's a different team at home. Uh, They are 5-0 ATS and straight up in their house. Uh, My mama call it Papa John Stadium. I'm going to call it Papa John Stadium. I don't know what it's called. Papa John Cardinal Stadium. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what it is now, but... Um, it's mostly been on the back of Jawar Jordan, 7.1 yards per carry this year. Louisville's averaging over 180, excuse me, 190 yards per game on the ground. And this Virginia team, not good at stopping the run. 115th in opposing rushing yards per game. It feels like the, the, the Virginia team that showed up and beat North Carolina was like a one hit wonder. Like you thought, wow, what that look look at what they could do, and mm. then they've never done it again. They never did it before. It's it, it's like Haley's Comet. You see <laughs> it once, and that was it. That was. I hope you were wowed by that. Um, it, this is the 120th offensive and defensive success rate team. This is a bad, bad team. Louisville's defense is very strong, 29th in success rate. I don't see them having much problem with UVA. Uh, Louisville's been a fast starter. I, I would look at it, potentially them getting out early. I, I like I like uh, Louisville minus twenty here. What do you think? Yeah, S and P rankings have this as like a twenty four point margin between both of these teams. And you look at Virginia and the way that they rank efficiency wise: seventy seventh on offense, sixty first on defense. Uh, nothing exactly that you're going to brag about. Meanwhile, Jeff Brown has got this Louisville team. Really, I I feel like people are starting to believe. Yeah. In in the possibility of Louisville doing something special, yeah, and it's I mean I think the reason they weren't is because nobody thought Jack Plummer was that good, mm-hmm. and we questioned if the defense would be any good. Eleventh in defensive efficiency, the defense is good, yeah. And Jack Plummer, I, I don't I don't think he's anything special, but he he's not costing them games, mm-hmm. and that's about enough, right? The, the question is, can they hold off the remainder of their schedule so that they lock themselves into the championship game? And are they capable of beating Florida State in a championship game? I mean, Florida State, the way Florida State's looked, I would say they are not invincible. But then I also think back and it's like, this is the same team that lost to Pitt. Yeah. It's like, how how did that happen? So I guess maybe that's sort of like, maybe it's their Haley's Comet. <laughs> right, right now, Florida State minus 400 to win the ACC, Louisville plus 300. Yeah, I mean those numbers make sense to me. I, I think it's a, it's a long shot, but we've seen this team. Like we saw what they did to Notre Dame. They, mm-hmm. they stomped Notre Dame. Um, we saw again. It's hard. It's it's hard to take much away from the Duke data point at this time of the season because that's that wasn't the real Duke team. But um, they they look good against them. Uh, 
I think this team is good. I think the last two weeks of the season, you know, obviously there's this Virginia game. They've still got to get get through. But I think at Miami and home against Kentucky will tell us a lot about sure. them and whether or not they're they're actually capable of, of competing with Florida State. Yeah, I, I see no other way to, to play this game besides Louisville winning and winning big. All right, let's look at the Big Ten game of the week. Michigan, minus 4.5 at Penn State. Total is 45.5. There is so much going on off the court or off the field right now for Michigan. Like, how does that affect things? Like, there's there's talk that Harbaugh might not even coach this game. And I want nothing to do with this game if that's the case. I mean, this is this is a really odd situation. And, um, you know, Penn State lately been willing to take more shots down the field since that Ohio State game where they just didn't do anything. But they still only have two plays all season of 40 yards or more. Two. That's crazy at this point in the year. Is that going to change against Michigan? Seems unlikely. You know, Michigan's defensive metrics look amazing, but they haven't played an offense with a pulse all season. First-ranked opponent. um, I don't know, man. I've been thinking that Michigan would hammer this Penn State team. There's just so many variables coming into this game. If if we get if we find out, you know, in the next couple days, Harbaugh's good, and you know, he's he's going to coach, and that's that. Awesome. I'll, I'll probably play Michigan up to six. But as of now, I'm passing on the side. I do like the under 45 and a half. Yeah. Uh, 45 is a key number. Um, so 45 and a half, that's, that's the way I'd look is under. Yeah, Penn State uh, only 3.8 yards per play uh, defensively allowed this season. That's uh, best in the nation. You look at both of these teams efficiency-wise, they're number one and two, respectively, in defense. The difference between them is that Michigan's number two on offense and Penn State's number 24. On offense, I don't know if Drew Aller and this Penn State offense can get the job done against Michigan. Michigan is one of the best teams in the country against the run, and I think Penn State wants to run the ball first to set up the pass. I like the under. I think that's. The, I think this is going to be a dirty, grinded out, low scoring, physical Big Ten football game. I don't want to play on either side. I would lean towards taking the points if I think it's going to be low scoring. I'd obviously like taking north of a field goal with the home dog in Penn State, but I like the under. All right, let's look at Alabama at Kentucky. Bama, minus 10.5. A couple 10s popping. Uh, 48.5 the total. These teams haven't played since 2020. Tide won that game 63-3. to Yeah. Now, I have a best bet in this game, and it's a, it's a derivative, so I'll give it out now. I do have a regular best bet on a okay. side that we'll have later on in the pod, but I might as well give this out now as a secondary best bet. And it's Kentucky in the first quarter. Now, you can get plus 3.5 up on the DraftKings Sportsbook, a little juice, minus 125, but Alabama hasn't played, played a noon Eastern road game since last year's game against Texas. They only had one early kickoff this season, and that was a game Arkansas, a game against Arkansas. They were losing six nothing in that game before they scored in the final minute with like fifty seconds left to go in the first quarter to take a seven six lead. I think this could be a sleepy Alabama start in a in a time that they're not used to playing in in the early kickoff window. Alabama's also scoring 6.1 points per first quarter and allowing 4.7, so not that big of a margin, compared to Kentucky, who's scoring 8.5 points 
in the first quarter and only allowing 3.9. Mark Stoops has been public. He's talked about how he needs the fans to wake up early and be ready for this game. It's senior day, so we know that Kentucky is coming out fired up for this one. And here's an interesting stat. If you look at the last 22 conference games that Alabama has played in, 17 of them have been one-score games in the fourth quarter. So they're not blowing out conference opponents, really. I think this could be close early. Now, maybe Alabama pulls away. They certainly looked great last week against LSU and Milrow starting to run the ball. But I think early on, Kentucky can catch Alabama napping in a start time they're not used to on the road. So I like Kentucky first quarter plus three and a half. Yeah, it's it's an interesting look. It's funny because it used to be, it used to be the uh, the free money was Alabama first half. Like he bet yeah. Alabama the first half it was free and then books it took forever for them to catch up. Uh but Alabama is in a prime letdown spot here. Although they do have Chattanooga on deck. So maybe it's not as much yeah, of a letdown the, spot. It's the Thanksgiving bye week yeah. uh, that the SEC does. But <laughs> Kentucky his Thanksgiving bye week. Kentucky has not shown up against the good teams on their schedule. That's pretty concerning to me. Kentucky got thumped by Georgia, thumped by Missouri, and they lost by double digits to Tennessee in what was a terrible schedule spot for the Vols. The rest of the Kentucky schedule is trash. Yeah. And they're still outside the top 70 in defensive success rate. The Bama offense, like you said, starting to hit a stride, And although LSU will do that to you. Uh, you, you've got basically two options against Alabama, and you saw LSU try and take away the bomb. And what it led to was Jalen Milrow eating them alive on the ground. Mm-hmm. And if you try and stop that, Jalen Milrow throws a really nice deep ball. He, he's not super accurate, but he gives like the receivers are so good. And he, get, or, I mean, relatively to, to other teams, not relative to former Alabama receivers, but he gives those guys a chance and either one on one or in a breakaway setting. And you get these chunk plays. So you have to decide. you got to pick your poison. Um, I, I just think there's still too much for the Tide to play for. I, I think they're going to continue to try and, and pour things on. So Bama's the only way I'd look here. Not sure if I'm going to be on this game, but I, I do kind of like the Tide here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, only, I'm not talking about the game. Yep. I'm only talking about the first quarter. Catch him napping early. All right. Texas Tech plus three and a half at Kansas. My first thought was, man, this number is very very short. Yeah, I agree. And Kansas continues to be, I think, a little undervalued in the market. I I faded them last week with Iowa State and didn't work. I thought, man, they're coming off the Oklahoma win. They've got to be flat. Nope. Handled business on the road. Their only losses this year are at Texas and at Oklahoma State. And check standings. Yep. Those are the top two teams in the Big 12. Look like they're headed to a Big 12 championship game. They, they've really kind of handled their business all season at home. And while Tech is in desperation mode, they're sitting at four and five. They've mm-hmm. got a game at Texas to finish the season. They need to win this game if they're going to get bowl eligible. This is a team that lost by double digits to BYU two weeks ago. Like, I, I don't know how we can look at them and go, oh, yeah, three and a half seems right. Um, both these teams are on backup quarterbacks. I trust Jason Bean a lot more than I trust Baron Morton. So I. I, I may be on the Jayhawks here. I, I kind of like Kansas. What do you see? Number 10 ranked offensive efficiency in the nation. And you hit the nail on the head here. Jason Bean's a very capable backup that would start on a lot of top 25 teams around the country. Yeah. And and they would be completely you know confident in, in him starting. 
I'm completely confident in him starting. Uh, last week against Iowa State, 14 of 23, 287 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Like, that's the type of game that you want to see a guy have. Like, yeah, okay, you had a bad game against Oklahoma. But they still won that football game. But, you know, a lot of people have bad games against Oklahoma. And Brent Venable's defense is going to force you into turnovers. I'm not, you know, but he also ran for 62 yards and a touchdown in that game. So we know that he can get it done both ways. He's the quarterback that I trust in this matchup. I was with you. When I first saw this line, I thought it was short. Um, I don't get the hype on Texas Tech. And I know that a lot of people have been on them at times this season because I see people on them at times this season. I don't know. I'm not seeing it with, with Texas Tech. All right. So it looks like we agree that this, this Texas Tech number is a little inflated. I'm not sure why either. I, I don't think there's much to like about this squad. All right. Let's look at Tulsa plus 23 at Tulane. 23. What? Does Tulane beat anybody by 20 points? They have they have won by three touchdowns one time this season, mm-hmm. and that was against FCS Nichols. <laughs> they beat UAB by 12 points, North Texas by seven. They beat Rice by two. They beat East Carolina mm-hmm. by three points last week. None of those are bowl teams. Like, these are all bad teams. Tulane's doing what they need to do and getting out of Dodge. Um, and I think a lot a big a big reason why they're not having the they're not getting the margin that they were getting last year is what's going on in the red zone. Red zone success is rough right now for Tulane. They are 119th in red zone scoring. They are 127th in red zone scoring defense. 96%. If you get in the, in the red zone against Tulane, opponents are scoring. 96% of the time, it's hard to cover big numbers when you're that bad inside the 20s. So uh, I, I like Tulsa here. I, I think that, you. I mean, the brand name of Tulane makes people go, yeah, they're good. Uh, they, you know, one loss team, uh, top 25, Tulsa stinks. They do. 23 points. We, we Tulane has not proven that that is something they're capable of. Yeah, and, and look, they're the only group of five team that's still ranked right now, and, and you know, so they're they're going to be the group of five champion that's you know going to go to a big bowl game. So congratulations. That, that that's something that they are going to be proud of. You hit the nail on the head, though. Where have they shown the ability to blow anybody out and pull away from anybody? I mean, do, do they score enough? I mean, they don't, they score in the 30s a couple of times, but in those games, they're kind of uh, shootout games, right? Like, they're giving up three or they're giving up 30 or 20 high 20s. The North Texas game comes to yeah. mind, right? That was the 35-28 type shootout. Rice was a 30-28 shootout. We were on Rice in that one, right? We gave that out as a best bet. They were 11-point favorites, I think it was, against Rice, and they failed to cover that one. I, 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 I give the coaching edge clearly to Tulane. I give the talent edge clearly to Tulane. They're home. All the numbers point to Tulane, but it's just too big of a number. It's It really is too big of a number to lay, I think. And let's face it, the, the games that are in front of Tulane probably have their attention more than this one does. Uh, next week, they are at Florida Atlantic, who, you know, they're no great shakes, but they're a solid team that you can't look past, certainly. And then they close out the season against UTSA. And then they're probably going to play SMU in the in the championship game. And those games are going to – it's going to be fights. Like you said, Tulane, congratulations. I don't know that they're there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still got a lot of work to do. 
but this is the the this is the spot where you feel like yeah we don't have to we don't have to go all out here. Um, so I, I don't I don't see it with this two lane team as far as laying that big of a number. That's a crazy number to me. All right, Arizona minus ten and a half at Colorado. Um, I'm back in Arizona again. I just I love this team. I love what they're doing right now. They've hit a different level with Fatita at quarterback or mm-hmm. Fafita. Excuse me. They've won three straight against uh, ranked teams after that overtime loss to USC, and they blew the doors off those teams. Like it, Colorado got in the back door last week, but they are. I think they're dead. I mean, we we talked about they need to win two of the next three to get bowl eligible. Mm-hmm. I I read you the three teams, and it's like they're not winning any of those games. Yeah. Um, Arizona's playing with a lot of confidence right now and all the attention that Colorado was getting early in the season, they're still getting a lot of attention. It's just not the kind of attention they want now. Now it's like, well, what happened? Why aren't you any good? And guys like Deion Sanders don't, they don't perform well in those situations. They they don't like the, the spotlight when it's not shining on the right, on the pretty things. So I, I don't know. I, they've got a massive coaching edge. I mean, Jed Fish is going to have a, a freaking SEC job by this time next year, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a massive defensive edge. They have covered five straight times. Market hasn't caught up to them. And Colorado is still priced better than they are. Like, you're still paying a Colorado tax, which is crazy at this point, but you are. They're not that good. Arizona, uh, it, it, 10 and a half here, is, is still a play to me. I, I like them at 10. I, I'll like them all the way up to probably 13. So Shadur Sanders is a little banged up, and it makes sense. Uh, UCLA pressured him 24 times and sacked him six times. Oregon State pressured him 18 times last week. The the Colorado offensive line can't block anybody. I mean, they're they're shifting around players on this offensive line, and they've been overrun in back-to-back weeks. And so we have a banged-up Sanders, who apparently had to take a pain shot in order to finish the game last week, we have an Arizona team that is clicking with a quarterback wide receiver combo that they were high school teammates, by the way, and are dominating now. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it obviously, once Fafita came into the game, Arizona is going to blow them out. Like Oregon, I mean, uh, Colorado can't keep anybody out of the backfield. And I think Arizona is going to hit Sanders, and he's only one or two hits away from like just not just coming out of the game. And at this point, why? Stay in the game. If you need a pain shot, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, like this guy's got a lot of money to make. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know that it makes any sense for him to be getting shots in the middle of the game to to stay and play for this team that's not going anywhere. Uh, I mean, kudos to him if that's what he wants to do, but it doesn't seem like a, a wise move for for him or his dad. Uh, all right, let's look at Baylor at Kansas State. Baylor plus twenty and a half. Whew. Oddly, the only thing that's like looks good for Baylor in this game is that it's a road game. <laughs> the The Bears are one and six at home this year. The only win came against Long Island. They are two and zero on the road with wins at Central Florida and Cincinnati. But defensively, they've just been dreadful. Like o- almost everyone in the Big Twelve is putting up thirty five points on them. They can't stop the pass. They can't stop the run. And the run specifically with Avery Johnson in the fold, K-State has the option to do either. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, Baylor is very, very pass-heavy. They are top 10 nationally in passes per game. But 
no one really throws against Kansas State because that's not the way to beat them. It's not a wise choice to go out and think you're going to throw the ball around on that defense. You've got to be able to run the ball. Baylor can't. Uh, and then K-State has put up 41, at least 41, in every home game this year. To me, there's no reason to think they won't. The number's pretty outlandish, 20 and a half. Yeah. But K-State over team total, 37 and a half. That's the way I'm going to be looking at this. Baylor, the 112th ranked offensive efficiency. Uh, defensive efficiency, 108th. Yeah, they stink. <laughs> this is a this is a horrible, horrible football team. That um, you know, they Iowa State scores thirty on them. Like, think about the teams that put put up big numbers. Texas Tech scored thirty nine yeah. against them. Kansas State's offense is much better than those teams. So you might be onto something with Kansas State's team total. I think the numbers fair. Yeah, I, think, I do too. I, I think this is a twenty something. This is a, a, a three touchdown game. Yeah, that's probably the way I'm looking at it as well. Like, I, it, it's it's uh, the number's so big that you can't just assume that. Oh yeah, they'll put. It. Remember, Texas Tech put up 39 with a backup quarterback. Yes, like that that's alarming to me. So, and Kansas State's got two quarterbacks right now that could start for most teams. So, uh, I, I think that they are they can call their number. Uh, Miami, the U plus 14 and a half at Florida State. Total in this game 50 and a half. Boy, Miami's just plummeting in my power ratings. Every time I get them out, it's like, oh, do I keep them up here? Uh, I don't. Getting thumped by North Carolina State is a bad look last week, but maybe worse is nearly losing at home to Virginia. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what's going on with this team. They've been very meh against the pass. Uh, like they, their metrics are, are meh against the pass, and they've they've played a bunch of teams that don't throw. So you, you, when you're playing Clemson and NC State, and you're still not good against the pass. What are you good at? Uh, and then Drake May, of course, goes and throws four touchdowns against them. <laughs> uh, the, the issue for me with Florida State is they're letting bad teams hang around. And it, it, Pitt was in that game for three quarters last week. And Pitt stinks right now. They're dead. And they were in that game for three quarters. Duke was in control of the game with a hobbled Riley Leonard in, mm-hmm. into the fourth quarter. If Riley Leonard plays that the rest of that game, I think, I think Duke beats Florida State. So... I'm looking at an under, particularly with Van Dyke currently. I, I think he's clearly not healthy. Uh, also, they're he's not. They're going to bench him. They're benching him. Like they're 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 trying to play coy and like not announce a starting quarterback. Yeah. But Tyler Van Dyke's getting benched. He's not playing. I, I would. I think we're going to see. Uh, was Emery Williams is the the who, yep. he started against Clemson? That's who I think starting this game. Okay. And if he plays in this game, it's going to be a similar type of approach that they had against Clemson, which is to really not let him throw the football. And it's going to be a lot of running and and trying to control the clock. Um, again, Mario Cristobal said we're recording this on Tuesday night. He spoke yesterday, and he did not say who the starting quarterback is going to be this week, which. If it's Van Dyke, just say he's been your starter all along. So yeah. you say, yeah, Tower's good. Tower's good. He's feeling well. No, 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 no. It's yeah, he's dealing with bruise, uh, bruised ribs, knee swelling. No, yeah, no, no, no. That he's saying this because they don't want Florida. They want Florida State preparing for Van Dyke, and when it's going to be Emory Williams or or maybe even the the red shirt uh, Jacory Brown playing this playing in this game. Miami's lost two straight to Florida. Miami's dropped three of their last five, and. We all know with the whole taking the situation and losing that game, and it's just 
the question you have to ask yourself is, can Miami backdoor cover this number? Yeah. Because it's the 14 and a half. Yeah. And I think the answer is yes. Like, I'm not comfortable. I tend to lean that way, too. I'm not comfortable laying north of two touchdowns. If I can find the 14 or 13 and a half, it makes me more comfortable. Uh, and maybe, one, and who knows, maybe once Miami announces a starting quarterback, which in college they just don't have to, but once they do, then things can change and this line can move. But I think Florida State wins comfortably, and I'd be worried about a Miami backdoor if the number is 14 and a half. Well, and because I think it's a, a low-scoring game, like I said, my favorite play on this game is the under. Yeah. I, I I tend to think that they do have a chance to get in that back door as well. So against Clemson, Emory Williams, twenty-four of thirty-three, one hundred and fifty-one yards, a touchdown, and an interception, and thirteen of his thirty-three attempts were thrown behind the line of scrimmage. What was the final score in that game? It was twenty-eight twenty overtime. Yeah, yeah, uh, under under fifty and a half uh, for me in this one. All right, let's look at a Pac-12 matchup. Curious your thoughts on this one. Utah plus nine and a half at Washington. Total 53 and a half. Where's the game? At Washington. End of handicap. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's it's hard for me to, uh, to argue that. I mean, this is a, a team. They are night and day uh, away from home. Yeah. And. You know, Oregon was able to go to their house and, and put it on them. But Oregon is, you know, I, I think a, a pretty special case. Mm. Uh, this Washington team is not playing at their best right now, I would say. But, I mean, offensively, they're going to be fine. Yep. It, 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 Michael Pinnock, whatever you – and I know it was USC. Everybody scores against USC. But Michael Pinnock's looked healthy, which I think was the the most important thing coming out of that game. On the other side – when you look at what Utah's done on the road, they average 15 points per game on the road, and that includes putting up 34 on USC. So if we throw out that data point, which, like I said, everybody scores on on mm-hmm. USC, they average less than nine points per game uh, in their other in their other three matchups. And Penix, like I said, looks like himself. Washington's going to get their points. It's just a question of how many Utah can score, and and I don't think it's enough to keep up in this game. Bryson Barnes did look fantastic last week, so he bounced back from the Oregon performance, and he looked amazing. It was at home, though, and it was against Arizona State. Uh, But Washington's defense has been suspect. Um, Utah, meanwhile, their secondary is top 10 in EPA per play, so how do they handle Penix? I think they do give them a, a, a good fight. I mentioned Utah's defense, I mean, uh, Washington's defense being a liability, 112th in defensive success rate. And they're 117th in EPA per rush and 124th in rushing success rate allowed. So if Utah can run the football, stay ahead of the chains, don't put too much on Bryson Barnes' plate, they can keep this within 10. All right. Uh, well, I, I, I don't think that they do that, but you're right. Washington, Washington's defense been vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if, if Bryson Barnes is good enough to take advantage of it. All right. What's Washington next week at Oregon State? It's a big game. I mean, this is a big game. Every game is a big game. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't afford a slip up. Yep. Uh, and, I, you know, Utah, Utah's not a team, even when they're down, I don't think anybody's, like, going to not take them seriously. Of course. You know, so I, I think that's the, uh, the advantage they've got here. All right. Let's look at Tennessee at Mizzou. Back to the well with Mizzou for me, I think. Um, 
I still can't believe I like the season win total under on this team. Like they've been very solid. Mm-hmm. They're they've got a balanced offense. They 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 legit gave Georgia a scare last week. And um, the problem I have right now is there's a huge question with Luther Burden, who they said today was questionable, is what Drinkwitz said. He is a top five wide receiver in the country. He would be a huge weapon against this Tennessee secondary. Tennessee has put up some gaudy numbers, but they have played some of the worst defenses in the country. When they played someone with a pulse, A&M, Alabama, they had a hard time. When they're on the road, they have a hard time. Um, they're going on the road now. I, I like the. I, I I lean to the under and to Missouri here. I I think those are the two ways to look. I. I I don't think Tennessee is going to have a bunch of offensive success against this team um, because Missouri's not a piss poor defense. Like Tennessee putting up big numbers on South Carolina, woo, amazing. Everybody does that. No big deal. Uh, this is going to be tougher, and I I worry again about Luther Burden. Like if he's playing, I, I will back Mizzou. Yeah, I feel the same way because Tennessee's really good against the run. Um, they're only allowing 97 yards per game on the ground, so Missouri's going to have to attack them through the air, and Burden's going to have to be the big reason why they're successful through the air. This is a really important game because the winner of this game is likely headed to a New Year's Six Bowl game, and the lose because they're going to be the second place team in, yeah. in that side of the SEC, whereas the loser is is out is out of a big bowl game. I think that Missouri right now, if you can, I mean, I think Missouri money lines the play because it's pretty much a money line game. Yeah. It's a coin flip game. What are you going to take one point? So I lean Missouri at home. If Burden doesn't play, it's certainly a concern, but I still would rather have the home team in a coin flip game here. All right, let's look at Oklahoma State minus two and a half at Central Florida. I'm RJ Bell, and I'm going to give you some straight talk. Now, there's two types of people that try to be healthy. One is the fanatics. They're the types that show up in Vegas and they got a water bottle and they got like a celery chopped up. And let's forget about them because I'm nothing like them. And you know what? I know a lot of them love AG1, but I'm not speaking to them. You guys got it covered. You know AG1's good. I'm talking about the people who try, but they're not perfect with it. And to me, that's what makes AG1 perfect is you can have a big dinner and maybe eat a little too much. Maybe have that glass of wine or that beer. You're not feeling great. Next morning, you have the AG1 and all of a sudden you're back feeling good. And to me, if you can have that as your home base in a way, that that center, that equator, that center that you can return to at any time with just a nice drink and feel healthy, well, I love it. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash rjbell. That's drinkag1.com slash rjbell. Check it out. DraftKings, the leader in fantasy sports, just dropped a brand new fantasy app, Pick 6. Now, what's different about this thing? I was never a big fantasy guy. You know why? Is I always worried, you know, who's on the other side? Who am I playing against? With pick six, you're not going against another player or players. You're going against the bookmaker. You're going against the number that they put up. So all you got to do is pick between two and six NFL players 
and choose if they're going to have more or less of the stat that interests you. Download DraftKings Pick 6 app now and sign up with code RJ. That's code RJ. Only at DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. But age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Valid only in states where DraftKings Pick 6 operates. Pick 6 not available in all states, including but not limited to Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date lists of states, please visit dkng.com slash pick 6 states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com. This is a pretty big letdown spot for the Pokes, it feels like, coming off the Bedlam win. These teams are similar in that they are both top 10 in yards per rush, and neither one of them can stop the run. Um, UCF is really bad against the run. They allow 228 yards per game on the ground, 132nd nationally. There's not enough in the stats to make me want to back Central Florida here. Uh, they, They need to win two of the last three to get bowl eligible. They've got they're at Texas Tech and home to Houston after this game. So even if they lose this game, they could still end up bowl eligible. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State, we talked about it earlier, they control their destiny to play in the Big 12 championship game. And they're going to be favored in every game leading up to it. I don't know that I think Oklahoma State's all that good, but Central Florida is just so bad on defense that I, I can't trust them. Um, if Oklahoma's offense wasn't good enough to keep them in the game, then I, I don't know that I can – Trust uh, Central Florida's. After the win against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is now 5-0 and against the spread in their last five games. So they're on an incredible streak yep. right now. If you look at both of their performances against Oklahoma, if you want to compare both teams, Oklahoma State put up 480 yards of offense. UCF put up 397 yards of offense. 149 yards on the ground for UCF. 146 yards on the ground for Oklahoma State. So very similar type of performances offensively for both of these teams. I really think that when it comes to UCF, I think John Reese Plumley is starting to come into his own at quarterback, starting to play with a little more confidence, especially running the football. I think he can make enough plays here against Oklahoma State's defense that makes this game interesting. I'm I'm not saying that UCF pulls off an upset. It is a letdown spot for Oklahoma yep. State. And I just I feel like Plumlee can make enough plays with his legs. Like Dylan Gabriel didn't run the ball at all against Oklahoma State. I mean, they never tried. But Dylan you know? Gabriel had a good game. Yes. But like you know, we talked earlier in the season about how, hey, him running the football is kind of like a, a, a secret weapon for for Central Florida. Like, oh, wow, you know, like what, what can happen here? You know, Jason Bean didn't try and run the ball against Oklahoma. Like, th- no one's really attempted to do this against them. Emory Jones was the guy that I thought would, and you know what? He rushed for 30 yards. Yep. I think Plumley, his legs make the difference in this game. I'd be worried if I was Oklahoma State. I really would. I think they're on upset alert. I I don't disagree with you. I just don't want to, like, and by the way, I like the over in this game. I I think that, like, Oklahoma State's defense wasn't very good against Oklahoma even. Uh, And Central Florida, like I said, just dreadful on defense. The only concern is both these teams are going to run the ball, and they're going to both have success running it. Mm -hmm. And with the clock rules, does does that end up making an under game? I don't know. So, um, 
it's certainly an interesting matchup. But Oklahoma State, like I said, they've got – I mean, they they control their destiny for a Big 12 championship. I, I It is a letdown spot, but I expect continued good efforts out of them. All right, let's look at Rutgers at Iowa. Rutgers – Are you ready for this? I, I've got a feeling. No, no, I know no, no, no. no do, do you see the total in this game? Oh, yeah. It's the lowest total in a college football game in history. Yeah. And there's not even a service academy playing. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Uh, total is 28 and a half. This is back-to-back weeks for Rutgers against high-level defenses. Uh, obviously, Ohio State last week. But they actually looked solid against Ohio State. They had a lead at halftime. Uh, then they st- the offense started to sputter out. Ohio State got some uh, some short fields and made something happen. The concern the the, the offense is just a joke, though. I, I mean, let's face it. But the Iowa offense is no better. Deacon Hill stinks. He's completed eleven or fewer passes in all five of the games he's played in this year. Um, I I've got no feel for how this game's going to play out, other than it's going to be ugly. And I know I should, like you say, well, I'll play under. The problem with liking the under is, despite the average game score. For Iowa being mm-hmm. 32 points, they are two and seven to the under. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, or two and seven to, yeah. So they're, they're not, they're, these games aren't going under, even though they all should be. I don't want to watch this game. I don't want to <laughs> bet this game. I, I guess I lean under and dog, but I, I won't be involved. Uh, you've got a better feel for Rutgers than I do. What are you seeing? Well, Rutgers is averaging nine, almost 20 points per game in Big Ten play this season, where Iowa's averaging under two touchdowns, 13.5 points per game in conference. They're both top 20 in scoring defense. Iowa's fourth, Rutgers is 20th. I think when it comes to this game, like, I, I think Rutgers make does enough, makes enough plays that they come away with a win in this one. Because Iowa hasn't done anything that, none. both of these teams do nothing to impress you. Nothing at all. But Rutgers can make enough, uh, they can create havoc. They can create a turnover. They've won games this year where they've gotten a, a, a kick, a, a muffed punt, a muffed punt where they recover it. A kickoff that had no intention of being an onside kick winds up being a recovery by Rutgers because the special teams makes a play. That's the difference between Rutgers and Iowa. Is that Rutgers makes havoc plays where Iowa doesn't. And I think turning Iowa over or having a big special teams play is going to be the difference in this game. Well, speaking of special teams, one advantage that Iowa has over basically everybody, and they, like if you're going to be a really bad offense, it's great to have a good punter. And Tory Taylor might be the best punter in the world, in the country anyway, like for for college football. He, he's been incredible. He finds a way to get you pinned back, and he's going to create long fields for Rutgers. Like, whichever team has an explosive play mm-hmm. probably wins this game. Iowa, it might be an yeah. explosive play that gets you in field goal range because that may be what it takes. Iowa is the number seventh ranked uh, special teams efficiency. Rutgers is number nine. <laughs> can we bet over punts? Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure you can somewhere. This is going to be like a Jets-Giants type game. This is going to be so punts. gross. So gross. <laughs> I, I tend to lean your way with Rutgers. Um, but again, especially with a total so low, mm-hmm. like a coin flip game, pass. I mean, Kyle Manunga is the better running back in this game. So I give, you know, and he's, he, it's going to be an ugly, ugly game. The only thing that's missing is like snow or rain. All right. Stanford minus 21 at 
Oregon State. Oregon State minus 21. Yeah, excuse me. Stanford plus 21 at Oregon State. Uh, uh, 54 and a half is the total here. Um, You know, I've liked Oregon State all year, but I think we're starting to see they're just, they're much better to back at home, which great. They're at home this week. They should have covered against Colorado last week, but that makes two straight that they failed to cover. Oregon State plays slow. And when you run and go slow, it's it's hard to get massive margin. And Stanford is competing. They've only been blown out three times this year. They got blown out at USC in week two, which that's when USC still had life. Uh, and then they got blown out against Oregon and UCLA. But blended in there are one-point loss to Arizona, which that's aged really well. Nine-point loss to Washington. That's pretty good. Wins at Colorado and Washington State. Mm-hmm. I still... I'm bullish on this Oregon State team overall, but I don't I don't want to back them as three touchdown favorites until they prove they can cover those numbers. So I I I'm not I'm probably not gonna push money across on Stanford, but I would lean them certainly. Oregon State last four margins of victory were in the teens. Stanford three and one in their last four games, ATS as an underdog. I I, I, like, I like taking the points with Stanford here. You mentioned, you know, the win over Colorado, the win over Washington State, but Keeping it close with Washington's the most impressive performance yeah. that we've seen. All right, Ole Miss minus ten and a half at Georgia. Ole Miss plus ten and a half. I don't know why I'm having trouble with that today. Plus ten and a half at Georgia. Uh, Ole Miss has their back against the wall here. This is an elimination game for them. Yep. Um, Georgia has faced one Power Five offense all season that ranks in the top fifty. That was Missouri last week, and Georgia allowed a season high in yards in that game. I'm still not sure that this Georgia defense is great. I think they're good. I don't know if they're great. And Ole Miss ran the ball well against Texas A&M, who's a better run defense, I think, than Georgia at this point. Ole Miss, the problem is, like, I think I, I can picture the path to Ole Miss covering this game. Control the clock. Which is easier said than done because George is good at controlling the clock too. But going down and getting quick scores is not ideal for Ole Miss. And that's what they do. So if Lane Kiffin's willing to adjust his mindset, I think they can stay in this number. Um, This is a a solid Ole Miss defense. Like It's much better than the, the defenses Lane Kiffin's had the past few years. And... With Georgia just not getting margin this season, do we expect them to start doing it now? They've covered two games all year. And this is a sandwich game, really, like between two SEC East opponents. Like you've got a game at Tennessee next week. You were at, or you were against Missouri last week. Those are the games that matter more for Georgia. Mm-hmm. I think Ole Miss might be the more motivated squad here. So give me, uh, give me the Rebels to hang around in this one. So Georgia has a 26-game winning streak. They haven't lost at home since 2019. Ole Miss hasn't beaten the top five team on the road since 2015 when they beat Alabama. And this game is at night. Yeah. Under the lights, between the hedges. I don't need them to win, Scott. Georgia hasn't lost a home (laughs) night game since 2009. I don't think they'll lose here. It's okay. (laughs) I, I, I can... Georgia's just going to be too much here. The coaching edge, I don't – as much as I like Ole Miss, bet on them last week. They got the push for me. They didn't cover, yep. but they got the push for me. Um, 
I think Kirby Smart's going to have something up his sleeve here for Lane Kiffin. And I think when it comes down to it, Georgia won't make the mistake that Ole Miss will late in the game. All right, a little disagreement on this one. Let's look at West Virginia, plus 12.5 at Oklahoma, total 58.5. I think we we are in the dream crusher spot for Oklahoma. Sure. You know, uh, no chance to win a title now, though I thought that was already the case, but now they know it. Mm-hmm. They've failed to cover three straight and almost lost outright three straight. If you remember, they beat they beat Central Florida by two points. Yeah. And if they lost that game and then followed up with a Kansas and Oklahoma State losses, they'd be melting right now. And West Virginia, on the other hand, seems to have really figured things out, at least on offense. They could easily be sitting at seven and two if they don't give up that Hail Mary to Houston. And if we're if they're seven and two. Is there any way they're 12-and-a-half-point dogs against Oklahoma? I, I, I don't think so. I think this team's better than anyone expected, myself included. They've got two very winnable games after this one against Cincinnati and Baylor. All their focus is going to be on this game. Uh, I, I like West Virginia, plus 12-and-a-half here, country roads. Uh, I, I This is too many points considering how the OU defense has been playing. I like West Virginia, and I like the over. I like the over. It's the first thing I looked at in this game because you mentioned it, the dream crusher scenario. But Oklahoma's still also going to play angry. They're at home. It's a night game, nationally televised on Fox. They're going to put up a big number. They're going to score a lot. The problem is is that I, I don't think they're going to be disciplined enough on defense to limit West Virginia. So I can see this being a uh, you know, 35, you know, 28-type game, something like that, where West Virginia keeps it within double digits, that keeps it within single digits, loses by 10 at the most. That's what I'm here for. But it's gonna, But it's going to be <laughs> – it's going to be a uh, a high-scoring game. I like Oklahoma. I would do Oklahoma team total over, honestly. I think they're going to score a lot. Give me uh, 42-35. I'll be a happy man. Uh, Michigan State plus 21.5 at Ohio State. 31.5. Yeah, sorry, 31.5. This is wild because I have this game as 24 on a neutral. Obviously, Ohio State doesn't get 7.5 points of home field advantage. Mm-hmm. I understand that Michigan State's terrible, but they're fighting hard. You know, they 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 beat Corn last week, and Corn is was fighting to be bowl eligible. Uh, historically, though, Michigan State just they stink against Ohio State. Like yeah. they never do anything. They haven't scored more than twenty points in their last eight games against Ohio State. I highly doubt they do that here. But Ohio State's just not a team you want to lay a big number with. This is a bad offense, and I I am not willing to lay five touch or almost five touchdowns with them. I, I, I hate to, to back Sparty here, but it's the only way I can look. I think the unders the much better look with Ohio state's offense struggling and, and Michigan state probably not going to score at all in this game. Uh, 47 and a half is the number. I, I think that's a, that's a solid underplay. Uh, but I lean to Sparty here, catching all these points. Taking out the game against Western Kentucky. The most the most points that Ohio State has scored this year is forty one against Purdue, the forty one seven win yep. against Purdue. Other than that, it's been a, a, I don't want to call it a pedestrian offense because they're still winning comfortably. Sure, but thirty five points, thirty seven points that that's the type of output that they're probably going to have here against Michigan State. And so the question is, do you really feel like Michigan State is not going to score? And if that's the case, you just might be better off like you did last week betting a team total under. 
and doing a team total under on Michigan State rather than betting them because there is a chance that it could be a 35 nothing yeah. type game and you and, and you blow the 30 point cover. So if that's if that's your feeling on this game, then go with a Michigan State team total under. Right now on the DraftKings Sportsbook, I'm seeing team total for Michigan State is at nine oh. and a half. Well, eight and a half. That's uncomfortable. So, so uh, no, no, there's all there's varying numbers here with all different amounts of juice. Seven and a half would be the least amount of juice, and the under is minus one forty five. Yeah, that's uncomfortable, man. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I think I'm I'm just good playing the the full game under because I don't trust Ohio State's offense either. Mm-hmm. And that way, if, if Sparty scores ten, I don't have to worry about. You well, know. They score ten, they're covering. I, oh, I agree. Yes, uh, that's why I, I lean that as well. So. Uh, this is again not going to be a fun game to watch, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. But it's it, it's part we got to we got to see what happens here. Texas minus ten at TCU. This TCU backup quarterback situation has been bad. Um, they have only had one win in their last five games. That was against BYU, so it barely counts. Um. And then now this backup quarterback playing against Texas's defense is only going to make things worse. The drop-off from last year's national title runner-up to this is just unprecedented. We, we've never seen anything like this. They've had some bad breaks, don't get me wrong, but they're just not a good team. Texas has struggled in recent history against TCU. I mean, this is... And when I say recent history, I basically mean since TCU's been in the Big 12, they've struggled. That, that's been a tough game for them. That could keep this from being a sandwich spot for Texas because you could say, oh, between K-State and at Iowa State, maybe this bad TCU team would be a sandwich spot. I don't think it is because TCU's had their number. Mm -hmm. The thing that I'm going to wait on is Quinn Ewers. Back at practice, and if he gets to play, I think Texas could get some margin here. If not, if he doesn't play, I think this is an under game. I I think this is going to be grimy. Uh, I'm going to wait till closer to kickoff to make a decision on this game, but that's the way I'm looking at right now. If Quinn Ewers plays, I'll I'll probably back Texas. If he doesn't play, I'll probably back the under. The the defensive mismatch here is the biggest factor. Uh, Texas defensively is going to be able to withstand TCU's offense. Texas is seventh EPA per pass, third in EPA per rush, and TCU just hasn't, in my opinion, found success against – they haven't found success a lot this season. And so I don't think they're going to find success here against the Texas defense. All right, let's look at Florida at LSU. Florida plus 14, total 63 and a half. And it's hard to handicap this game without knowing the availability of Jaden Daniels. Um, if mm-hmm. he plays, he should be able to have his way against this Florida defense. Um, you know, they've, they've not been very good on defense, particularly lately. Vanderbilt is the only team Florida's held under 30 points in the last five games. LSU has a ton of weapons, and they are fun to watch on offense, but last week was another reminder of just how bad they are defensively. Like, it, 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 As good as they looked, they, it, they couldn't hang in that game because the defense is just so bad. Yeah. Florida's going to have some success running the ball. If anyone's going to make Graham Mertz look good, it's going to be LSU. Uh, if Daniels plays, I like the over. If he doesn't, I'm going to be out on this game altogether. Uh, what do you think on on that total? And and what do you? It, I mean, do you have you read anything about Jane Daniels' availability? No, and that's the thing. Like, obviously, I, I feel no 
uh, I'm not comfortable playing this game without him. Um, yeah, and and that's it. Uh, you know, just I th- we know that Florida is preparing for either Daniels or Nussmeyer. The thing for me is that Nussmeyer is probably one of the better backups in the country. Like you could say Nussmeyer and Max Johnson are the, probably the two, and Jason Bean are like some of the better backup quarterbacks in college football. As far as you're like, oh well, you know you can, you know you can win with them. I mean, Malik but, Murphy's looking pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Daniel's running ability is the X factor. He's second in the nation in running behind your boy Castellanos from uh, Boston College. And if they don't have him running the football, like, is this offense good enough to, you know, blow out Florida? I don't know. I, I, I don't. I think it changes a lot of things without without Daniels. Yeah, I do too. So that's a game that again, I'm going to wait till we find out what's going on with him before I put any money on that game. All right, Duke at North Carolina. North Carolina laying 14 at home. Total here 50 and a half. I'll be honest. It felt like the Duke defense was going to be able to carry the load with Riley Leonard out or hurt or whatever he was. But now they've given up 82 points in the last three weeks to Louisville, Wake Forest, and Florida State. It lets you know they're starting to wear down. The, the lack of depth is is showing here. North Carolina certainly doesn't have much to play for anymore, but it was nice to see their defense get back on track last week against, let me check, oh, wait, Campbell. Uh <laughs> I don't want to buy into either one of these teams right now. I, I I don't want to play Duke because it feels like their defense is gassed, and that's without Riley Leonard, that's the only yeah. good thing about this team. And I don't want to play on North Carolina because the last two games that mattered, they they looked like a shell of themselves mm-hmm. against lesser competition against Virginia and Georgia Tech. I know Georgia Tech's up there in the standings, but this North Carolina team. I mean, we were talking about them, you know. Maybe playing for the ACC championship. Yeah. Maybe making they could have if they would have. I mean, there was it was still alive. I mean, both these teams technically are still alive, right? But two, three weeks ago, like North Carolina had a path to play in the in the postseason, yeah. like in the in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, I don't want anything to do with either of these teams. It's a full pass for me. I, I don't feel good about the total because I I don't know which Duke defense is going to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I, I could say well. Their defense has been bad, so let's play the over. But then Duke's – their backup quarterback is – I, I don't know where they found this guy. Like, I, I don't know what they're doing. So I, I've just got no faith in either one of these teams right now. Uh, I would lean towards the over just because sometimes, like, I understand that, that North Carolina had a bad couple of weeks, and last week just might have been what they needed. Like, the, you need a cupcake game. You just need a get-right spot. You need a scrimmage. And that's what they got. They got a scrimmage. Drake made through for, you know, four touchdowns in that game. They kind of feel much better about themselves going into this Duke game. And I think North Carolina does put up a number here uh, against Duke. I think Duke is capable of scoring on North Carolina as well. This just feels like the this feels like a closer game so I would lean towards, you know, Duke, you know, with catching two touchdowns. But I think it's a game where North Carolina scores, you know, four touchdowns and then, you know, we're seeing what Duke can do, uh, and if North Carolina gets into the 30s, this game easily goes over. Yeah, but if not, you know, then it, it might it might be a Duke cover and an over game. All right, let's look at USC plus 16 and a half at Oregon. Total 73 and a half, and I'll, I'll be in pocket guy. 
Mm. I, I bet Oregon minus 13 uh, early in the week when I saw the, the quote about, I just want to go home, cuddle with my dog, and watch my shows. <laughs> that, that's not what I want my uh, Heisman-winning quarterback to be saying. Yeah. Like, I, and, you know, I don't even mind the crying thing. Like, I know that, like, I, I'm not going to clown on a dude for, for being emotional. It is a little odd that he isn't he the guy who made fun of Max Dogan last year for crying? Like, didn't he like uh, talk some smack about yep. him? Like, so you know, I guess it comes around. Uh, but that part doesn't bother me. But the idea that it, it sounds to me like Caleb Williams just wants this season to be over with. He wants to get out of here. He wants to go to the NFL. He's he's done with this. It's not fun playing for this team. It was fun early in the season. It was fun last season. Yeah, this season you came in with expectations. You were unable to meet him, and it's really no fault of his. You know, he's played good. He's not a – he hadn't played brilliantly. He hadn't been as good as he was last year, but the the team is not very good, and it's got to be frustrating. I don't think he wants to play anymore. Alex Grinch is fired, yep. which, listen, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't change the defense. It doesn't mean that they're – like suddenly the players are going to get better. Uh, they're still undersized up front. And Oregon feels to me like they're on an absolute mission. Like they are, they're just smashing everyone. And with the exception of that Washington game, you know, they, they've really dominated. And I think if you play that Washington game 10 times, Oregon wins five. Yeah, sure. You know, maybe six even. I don't know. Um, USC's lost seven straight ATS. They're just dead, man. Nothing good's coming for them. Oregon has everything in front of them. They're eight and one ATS, by the way, and they keep they keep trying to put up more and more. The power ratings make this twelve on a neutral. So for me, at sixteen and a half, I, I don't really have any interest. I'm not going to give Oregon four and a half points, um, and it's probably going to end up being seventeen. Yeah. But so I don't know that there's actual value on Oregon at this point. But I don't want to bet on USC. Even if it gets to 17 and a half, I don't think I'd be on USC. Um, I, I just think I think USC is going to quit. If they get down early, I, th- mm-hmm. I think they roll over and die. So, yeah, I agree. I think USC is a dead team, and it's time to pick on them while they're down. The other concern that I have for USC is the defense, they got to be gassed after that yep. performance against Washington. And now how do you hold up against the number one scoring team in the country in Oregon? It's just a bad stretch to go from playing Washington to now playing Oregon because the defense is completely gassed. And defensively, Oregon is one of the better teams in the country, and if you're looking for a comparative performance, you have to look at Notre Dame, right? And and USC lost 48-20 to 20 yep. against Notre Dame, and that's the that's the most similar defense to Oregon that, that – that they face, except Oregon's also got an explosive offense. Well, I'm talking about defensively. I'm yeah. just saying, and, and USC was only able to score 20 yep. in that game. So I think this is this is a bad. This is going to be an ugly uh, game for USC. I think I think Oregon blows them out. All right, looks like we've got some agreement there. All right, if you want to uh, pick up something at pregame.com, well, because you listen to this podcast, we're going to take care of you. Uh, we're great guys. Grinch 10, G-R-I-N-C-H 10. Is it because uh, Alex Grinch got fired? Because he got fired. Okay. We've got to pay memorial to him. $10 off anything 
for you guys at, at pregame.com when you use that promo code Grinch10. All right, we've got Scott had an honorary best bet on a, a derivative, the Kentucky first quarter, yes. uh, plus three and a half. We'll get to best bets now. I'll start with Temple, plus seven at South Florida. They won this game 54-28 last year, and they are a different team when E.J. Warner is on the field. Mm -hmm. It was obvious last week against Navy. uh, They should have beat them by even more. I mean, they dominated that game. And when you look at Temple's season-long metrics, they don't look look that good on offense, and that's because E.J. Warner's missed four games. When he's in there, they are incredible on offense, I believe in this Temple team, man, at least offensively. South Florida has been a home favorite three times in the last two years. 0-3 ATS. The only time they were home favorites this year was against Florida Atlantic. They were three-point favorites. They lost 56-14. to um, Good offenses are lighting this team up. And with EJ Warner in the fold, this is a legit good offense. Both these teams are pretty bad on defense, but Temple has the worst turnover margin in the country. If EJ Warner plays the whole season, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And, and that, the defensive metrics aren't as bad. Give me Temple with a capable passing attack, catching a full touchdown. I think this number is just wrong. I love Temple plus seven here. I like it. I like it. And I like EJ Warner a lot at quarterback. Um, I'm going to go with another dog as well. I'm going to go Navy plus three against UAB, and it's a pretty simple handicap. Now, I know you're just going to say, yeah, we're going to bet against UAB, and I love that. Uh, but UAB cannot stop the run, and what is Navy going to do? That's all they do. Run. UAB ranks 130th. There's only 133 teams in this college <laughs> football. They rank 130th in success rate against the run, 131st in EPA per rush. They allowed the seventh most rushing yards per game in the country at 200 yards per game. I just don't understand how you can make this team favored when Navy, all they do is run and it's a triple option attack. Like, how how is UAB going to keep them off the field? How are they going to stop them? I understand, like, oh, well, Navy doesn't convert like you know, a lot of third downs. Or whatever. They're, they're not going to face third down. They're going to run for five-plus yards on every carry. They're going to get first downs. I think Navy wins this game outright, AJ. Yeah, I am with you. Uh, this I want to say it was maybe 2020 when Army played in a bowl game. Uh, maybe it was before that. I, I don't know. But Army played in a bowl game against a, a, a UH team. It was 2018. It was the, the Armed Forces Bowl. Army played in the bowl game. And Houston just couldn't stop the run all year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how, how is this possible? And be, I mean, I was in Houston at the time. People were like, you're a hater. You're a hater. 70 to 14. Like, they, they didn't stop the run once. Uh, I mean, it was – sometimes it, these, these service academy teams, they're the easiest to handicap because it's really – what's your success rate against the run? Yeah. Like, how, how do you do against the run? Are you disciplined? Can you tackle? And, and if the answer UAB is no, not like yeah. those numbers are. It's not, I'm not just saying that. Oh, they're a bad team against the run. No, 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 no. They're the worst. They're one of the worst teams in all of college football against the run. Yeah. So I don't care if like like who it is. Like they just they haven't stopped anybody, and now you have to stop a triple option attack. Yep. And a team that's going to run the ball every down. Navy might not attempt a single pass in this game, <laughs> and they'll still win. All right, my uh, my last best bet is going to be Iowa State minus six and a half at BYU. 
And let me start this handicap off the way I know you love to have one start off if you're looking to back me here. Iowa State might not be that good. I'm not really even sure. When you dig through their schedule, there's one impressive data point, and that's the win over Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. I was on them last week against Kansas. I thought they were in a great spot, and they lost outright as favorites. They've gotten the job done against the bad teams in this Big 12 conference, though. And um, they beat TCU. They beat Cincinnati. They beat Baylor by an average of 15 points per game in the three games leading up to that Kansas game, in between the Oklahoma loss and the Kansas loss. Yeah. Two of those wins were on the road. Now they play BYU, who I believe is the worst team in this conference. The record doesn't say that. The record doesn't say they're the worst team. I think they are. Now Sataki is saying, Kidon Slovis may not even start this week if he's healthy. Last week they used Jake Retzloff, and, and despite him throwing for 210 yards and losing by 30 to West Virginia, Sheesh. apparently there's some sort of excitement about him. People are like, oh, he looks good. What? I'm glad to let him work the kinks out while I make some money fading this uh, sinking BYU ship. BYU is terrible. They've got no fight, no life. They are a bad, bad football team. Give me Iowa State minus six and a half uh, against BYU. I like it. All right, there you go. That is going to do it for our Week 11 uh, podcast. And three, three, and one in the contest last week. Not enough to catch us up, certainly. Like we're gonna have to get a couple six and ones, five and twos down the stretch here to make it make it even interesting for, as far as making the money goes. Uh, but it was nice to not be in the red uh, one yeah. week. So uh, we'll, we'll see what we can pull. It's, what's funny is I keep I'm winning. We uh, you're winning in yeah. college football, and we're just we're having a hard time picking you know the right what? ones. I I only gave out two plays on Saturday. Not seven? Not seven. Ah, look at that. <laughs> That's how you win. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll, but, again, we'll tweet out the contest picks when we, when we get those turned in Friday night. Uh, and, yeah, we'll hopefully, uh, hopefully have another good week. Scott, thank you as always. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Good luck. Good luck.